This paid program may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy, errors, or omissions reported during this program. This is the Business of Government Hour, a conversation about leadership and management with government executives and thought leaders who are truly changing the way government does business. And now, the Business of Government Hour. Welcome to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, exploring the state of enterprise risk management practices. I'm Michael Keegan, your host and leadership fellow at the IBM Center for the Business of Government. For over two decades, the IBM Center for the Business of Government has sought to connect research to practice, engaging authors and academics who, in their research and studies, contribute in some form or fashion to changing the way government does business. The COVID-19 pandemic, amongst other challenges over the last year, has triggered an unimaginable range of risks that have impacted virtually all organizations and sectors. Today, leaders are recognizing the increasing complexities and real-time challenges of navigating emerging risks as they seek to achieve key strategic objectives and goals. Many organizations have embraced the concept of Enterprise Risk Management, ERM, which is designed to provide an organization's strategic perspective of risks on the horizon so that those risks can be managed proactively to increase the likelihood the organization will achieve its core objectives. What are the drivers of enhanced risk management? How does organizational culture impact the managing of risk? What is the state of risk management maturity? And how can government agencies learn about how other sectors manage risk? Today, we'll explore these questions and much more with Professor Mark Beasley, Director of the Enterprise Risk Management Initiative within the Poole College of Management at North Carolina State University and co-author of the 2021 State of Risk Oversight Report, an overview of enterprise risk management practices. Well, Mark, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. So before we delve into the core insights from your uh, 2021, the State of Risk Oversight uh, report that you published in partnership, I believe, with the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. Would you tell us more about yourself and the mission of the ERM initiative at NC State? Happy to. So I am a professor in the Poole College of Management at North Carolina State University, um, and I help lead the Enterprise Risk Management Initiative that we call the ERM Initiative, which is a thought center here in the Poole College. We launched that in 2003, and quite frankly, it's sort of tied to some work I was doing in the early 2000s with an organization, a think tank referred to as COSO, which I'm sure many people are familiar with. I had done some research for them, and they launched a project to think about a principles-based framework on the topic of enterprise risk management in early 2000. And quite frankly, at that point, I'm like, what's ERM? I don't even know what you're talking about. But over the last 20 years, roughly, um, I've spent a lot of my time and energy teaching graduate courses, MBA classes on the topic of ERM and doing a lot of research and writing on this. The initiative, the ERM initiative that's here in the college, 
is, is a thought leadership center. That's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to provide thought leadership on the topic of enterprise risk management with a particular focus of how ERM can help business leaders think strategically and then help those in more governance and oversight roles understand the, the risks that the entity is facing that management's taking on behalf of stakeholders. I mean, we're just trying to provide thought leadership and we do a lot of different things there. We do a number of programs, speaker series, workshops where people from all around the world come pre-COVID, they would come to North Carolina to attend these workshops. Um, now we're doing them virtually, uh, as well as we have a website that we post just summaries of information. We're just trying to be an ERM library, if you want to think of it that way, where people can go to our website when they're looking for guidance on how to identify risk. Well, we're a place they could start. So we we have a website there, and then we're doing a lot of writing and thought papers and research studies as well. So that's a little bit about me and the ERM initiative here at NC State. That's wonderful. Thanks for the context. And, you know, with that mission, uh, I wonder what prompted your research. I think if I'm correct, you're, this is a 12th year you've worked with uh, for this report. What prompted the research um, interest in this area and the state of risk oversight? And, and more importantly, with the survey that went into the report, how did you conduct the research? This study, as you said, is in our 12th year. So we, I guess 2009, uh, launched it in a partnership with the AICPA. And quite frankly, at that point, we were doing some work in some courses that we were actually hosting in partnership with them up in New York, where we were trying to walk people through some of the fundamental concepts. And the question from participants, quite frankly, was, gosh, what's everybody else doing? Where are they in the state of things? And ERM is, while I've been spending 20 years of my time on it, it's still a relatively new topic when you think about a lot of disciplines and paradigms. So everybody we found was asking us, what are my peers doing? So we thought, let's survey and ask. So that's where it started of really trying to get some benchmark information about the state of risk oversight in all kinds of organizations. And so that's what launched the study. Um, To your second question of, you know, how do we go about it? We basically just ask people that are in risk management leadership roles or senior executive roles that would be knowledgeable what their organizations are doing. So I think C-suite, or those that directly report to a C-suite individual to just provide perspective through a fairly lengthy survey request that we launch out in the fall of each year. So um, we will launch this in late fall of 2020, asking people just to respond to a series of questions. I think we have over 40 different topic questions that are addressed in the survey, and they're responding with their organization's risk management in mind. And so we're asking them about the state of oversight in their entity where they are involved in the leadership. I think it's been about 10 years. The center, the IBM Center, put out its first introduction into enterprise 
risk management, which was authored by Karen Hardy. So the, the reason why I bring that up as context is it was fairly new to us, and it was definitely very new, the conversation in the federal government in particular. Could you spend a little time and tell us what is ERM? Perhaps you could provide us with a, you know, a high-level description of ERM and how it differs and complements you know, traditional risk management in general. Yeah, that, that's a great question because a lot of people are, they've heard the term and even today still are not sure what it really represents compared to what they do. So I always like to remind executives, this ERM is not trying to imply that people are not doing risk management. So that sort of comes back to your traditional risk management. Organizations, if they've opened their doors today, they are managing risk. So how, so the question is, so how's ERM different? So I like to describe enterprise risk management as a top-down view of my risk with a coming from a very strong strategic lens. So it's when I say that, it's a top-down view of what could emerge, good or bad, that could affect what I'm trying to do strategically to grow, enhance, or in a lot of cases, fulfill the mission of why we exist as an entity. So it's a top-down strategic view of risk that's also trying to bring thinking together and break down silos so that we look at the risk in a more holistic way and versus a very siloed way. And so enterprise risk management is really trying to say, let's start with what is strategically important figure out what could emerge all across the organization and how could that risk impact multiple places in the organization. So, for example, looking at a technology risk, IT obviously is going to do that, but enterprise risk is saying, okay, let's think about that, but let's think about how we're navigating that risk. How does that affect how we sell our product? How does it affect how people come in and log into their workstations each day as far as our workforce is concerned? And then how could it create a legal risk for us? Because we're not thinking through how we're managing it from a legal perspective. Um, and, and it sort of goes on that more holistic sort of way. So I guess I haven't given you the short definition. I've talked a long time on that one, but it's this top-down view, strategic lens, breaking down silos to get a holistic perspective on a given risk issue. I was wondering, you know, given your portfolio and your your initiative at NC State, coupled with what you did this year for the report that we're talking about, you know, to what extent are executives from all industries and sectors realizing the benefits of increased investment in how they hopefully proactively manage potentially emerging risks in what we're seeing with pandemic and what have you and ransomware attacks, an increasingly complex world. You know, the benefits go across all industries, all sizes of organizations, all types of organizations, for-profit, public company, private company, nonprofits, NGOs, state, local, federal government sectors. The entity type, does not affect the value proposition that because all those organizations, we all are facing risk and it doesn't matter how big or smaller I am. 
I'm facing risks that could affect what I'm trying to do every day. I always like to describe it as, you know, our workforce is coming in every day with hopefully a mindset of really trying to do some good work today. And risks are going to emerge that make that really challenging. And hopefully some risks are going to emerge that we can take advantage of. So there's a good side to it. But I think that sort of ties into what are some of the benefits? I think I think they're beginning to see for many organizations, and we have an advisory board. I didn't mention that, but we've got like 55 organizations that work with us. And they, pre-COVID, would come to Raleigh twice a year and spend two days with us each time. Now we're spending lots of time virtually together. But cross-functional, cross-sectors are part of that. What they're telling us is those that had a more robust process pre-COVID truly realized the benefits of their investments pre-COVID to thinking about risk more holistically from a more enterprise view. And that is they had a structure in place. People already knew each other and were already conversing so that they could escalate risk issues early in the COVID time quicker. They were better prepared. They didn't have to build the process and fly the plane at the same time. So I think for those that had already invested in ERM, realized tremendous benefits and value of how that helped them. It's not that they still didn't have tough days. It was not easy for them, but it put them a little bit, I think, further ahead or out of the gate sooner. Um, I think now they're beginning to realize, too, that the pandemic has revealed to, I think, all of us, those that had embraced a a good process, already had a process, or those that didn't, I think those that have lived through the COVID experience and how their management teams had to come together quickly and start talking about risk found that, oh, there's some value in bringing these teams together and talking and, you know, let's get the risk on the table. Transparency of risk information got real transparent in March and April of 2020. People were not gun shy to say, we got a problem and we got to deal with it. And it's going to affect our business model if we don't fix this like now. So what are we going to do? Put it, getting people together, getting conversations going, getting lots of minds on it from all functions of the entity. I think they sort of saw by reality the benefit. They're like, now, how can I preserve that as we leave? Hopefully we're leaving COVID soon. So I think some are realizing it's helped them to realize there's, there's some real value in talking about risk openly and working together and breaking down these silos. How can I preserve that and carry that forward uh, for, for the long haul? Yeah, that's a great segue, Mark, into one of the aspects that you talk about in the recent report is, you know, drivers for enhanced risk management. And I was wondering, what are those drivers across industries and organizations? And more importantly, what are the perceptions of the current risk environment? And as you said earlier, how has covid impacted the managing of risk across sectors. Could you elaborate on that? Yeah. So, you know, when you think about drivers, um, I like to sort of talk about it from the carrot and the stick perspective first. So let me start with sort of some of the drivers that have been more the stick, (laughs) which I don't like that because, you know, it's has a more negative connotation. But, you know, there have been a lot of drivers over the last decade for thinking about risk differently. And and a lot of those drivers were more in the public company sector, but um, 
we all know that that can have a trickle-down effect to all organizations. So some of the sticks were more of uh, governance expectations, particularly being placed on boards. Uh, New York Stock Exchange, some governance rules in 2004, for example, made the audit committee in charge of risk management, and they were talking about risk way beyond financial reporting. It was all risk. And so that got a lot of NYSE entities beginning to think about it differently. And then you had disclosure requirements coming out of the SEC for public companies to disclose the board's role in risk oversight. So that got a lot of people saying, well, what are we going to say? We, we don't have any process. Well, I mean, what are we going to talk about in our proxy? Well, they had to put some stuff together. Um, and then the credit rating agency started evaluating entities on their risk management. So and then you could get into some of the, the federal sector. I think there were some OMB requirements that kicked in that had a budgetary sort of implications for ERM. But those are all sort of things that make me do it. And then in the financial, some of the regulated industries, you had regulators pushing for it. I like to focus on the carrot, however. The carrot is, it just makes good business sense. So I think now I'm hoping, my optimistic side is saying, I'm hoping that COVID has helped sort of illustrate the value proposition of thinking about risk more explicitly than just gut or ad hoc. Um, And that I think now I'm hoping people realize if I had more intelligence about risk affecting my business, I can use that strategically. So risk information is really good information and it's just smart business. Uh, It just makes good business sense. So I think I'm hoping that that's going to drive that. Now, maybe back to a little bit of a carrot, a little bit of a stick. When you think about what has happened that's also driving it is, I think it's just reality and particularly COVID. The volume and complexity of risks that entities face, we asked that question in our report, in our survey, and it's in our report where the question is sort of, how do you perceive the volume of risk and complexity of the risk changing over the last five years? And that those that ex- responded mostly to extensively was over two thirds, and that's the highest percentage we've had in the 12 years. So to, to me, that tells me what's driving some of this is they just sense that the past year, the amount of risk that they've had to face and manage is at all time highs. And so they're like, we need to do something. And so um, and and they also, we had another question about to what extent has COVID changed your risk profile? And, you know, a lot of it indicated pretty significantly. And that probably doesn't come to any surprise to your listeners, but it just sort of provides data that I think people are realizing the world is not getting simpler and it's not going to. So either I face that reality and try to build a process to help me navigate in that world or I put my head in the sand. And, and you know, I sort of say, you choose. <laughs> I would choose to think about it, but some others would say, I'll fly, I'll wing it as we go. Yeah, I'm, I, that, that's a wonderful perspective. I think you really nailed a lot of what's going on in terms of, uh, of that area. But I'd like to, you know, kind of, Jump ahead from the drivers, if you will, to another aspect of your report, and and that is the uh, really it's in the it's in the title in some respects. It's the state 
What is the overall state of risk management maturity? And how did you obtain a sense for the current state of ERM maturity and how organizations within your survey, for instance, how they have embraced it? You know, we came at that question actually by asking several questions. So, you know, when you do a survey, you're always worried about, will people interpret the question the way I'm wanting them to think about, you know, the words I'm using in my survey? Could I confuse them? So what we did is we asked it sort of multiple ways to sort of come up with what I would call a collage of answers to then draw an assessment of what's the state. So one of the questions we asked is just directly out. How would you describe your risk management process? One of the options is that they could select, we have a complete enterprise-wide ERM kind of process. So 35% of our full survey provided that. Now, if you're a larger entity, so large means revenues over a billion, um, you're at 56%. So we, we just directly asked, do you think your process is what would be described as a complete ERM process? So you get you know, 35% on average for across the board. Now, just to give you some sense for, okay, that means 65% wouldn't say that. Uh, but in 2009, 12 years ago, that percentage that was 35% today was 9%. And we've tracked it every year. And it's just a slow, steady uphill that has happened. So it's trending up, but not skyrocketing because we're only at 35%. So we thought, well, maybe people would say, I can't answer it that way because we don't have complete ERM. So we asked a different question. How would you describe the maturity of your risk management process? Do you think it's pretty mature and robust? And so we came at it that way. And the answer was roughly 28%. So we're not that far off from the 35% with that kind of question. Then we asked it another way. How would you describe your process? And so we gave them descriptors. And one of the descriptors was their process is systemic, repeatable, definable, sort of there's something to point to. So if someone said, what is risk management? They could point to things they're doing. That was like 42%. And then... Another question is a little different, but it was another way to get at maturity. And that was, to what extent is it providing strategic value? And that was unfortunately, and has been for a while now, pretty low, 12%. So when I look at all that, throw it all together into a basket, we're, we're still, when you ask, what's the overall current state? If you look across all kinds of organizations, I'm going to say it's improving, but we're only about a third to maybe just under a half of organizations would have what seems to be a pretty robust, definable, mature kind of process of thinking about risk. Um, and so, I see that as improving, but with room to still improve more. I was interested in, you know, from reading your report and also just in general, the work that we're doing uh, from a federal perspective, why do many organizations, regardless of sector, really, it seems, continue to struggle to integrate their risk management efforts 
and strategic planning? And, and why aren't they seen as complementary? And is there anything you could share in terms of insights of what could be done to enable leaders to view the managing of risk and uncertainty as integral to their strategic approach? Yeah, it, it, this is this one's so puzzling to me. And, you know, I've been at it for a while. It's still puzzling to me that, that there's such a disconnect on this. So a lot of times I'm asked to speak in different places and I'll talk about this integration with the ERM and strategy or risk management and strategy, not even use the ERM term. And I can, and I'll talk about how it makes sense. And sometimes it's like, I see this aha moment in the audience. I'm like, I'm really surprised by this because, you know, in my view, risk and strategy just go hand in glove because I know in life, even personally, I've got to take risk if I want to grow and enhance and lead to new opportunities for me. So, you know, risk taking and strategy are just, they're hand in glove. They go together. However, you know, to get back, why is it a struggle? I think it's a behavioral thing to some extent. That is, so often when we use the word risk, people just don't want to go negative because they see the risk as, okay, now we're going to talk about all the reasons we will not be successful. And particularly in a Western culture where optimism is rewarded, positivity is rewarded, um, it people that are Presenting roadblocks are sort of the naysayer. They're the devil's advocate. So it's it's this reluctance to want to talk about things that might not be as fun to talk about. It's a lot more fun to talk about all the great return on investment we're going to make and we're going to have and how successful we're going to be with this particular initiative or how we can really help advance our mission with this opportunity. We like talking about that. We don't like then saying, but what could not make that work? Why is that not going to happen? What are the roadblocks? And so I think it's partly that. I think another issue is it's more practical in that the risk management leadership historically in a lot of organizations is not even in the same level of the organization with those that are responsible for the strategic leadership. So sometimes when I'm doing a PowerPoint presentation, I have a visual where I have a skyscraper and I'll show the top floor is where the strategic leadership is. It's the C-suite. And then risk management's like on floor 11. You know, they're on down in the middle of the building or lower and they don't ever talk. Uh, So there's part of it is a disconnect. Now, part of that disconnect or why risk management is relegated to one part of the building and strategy people are in a whole different zone of the building is risk management has not been positioned correctly. It's too low. It's too granular. It's too operational and compliance focused. And it has not come at risk from a strategic lens. So how do you get around this? So to your second part of the question, what can be done? When I'm talking to risk leaders, I really challenge them and me to think about my lingo that I use. Uh, if When I'm in a risk management world, and when I talk to risk management professionals, we have developed our own lingo. 
We like terms like risk appetite, risk tolerance, risk intelligence, risk probability, risk impact. We, we, we have all these risk terms that we understand, but surprisingly, others don't really know what we mean by that. So I, my challenge is to say, check your language and convert it to a strategic language. Change your verbiage to talk about things that are strategic. And maybe in a lot of cases, I would encourage people in the risk management space. I said, don't even use the R word. Don't even say risk. Talk about what are some of the barriers? What are some of the issues? What are some of the opportunities that if we thought about it, we could take advantage of? What are some of the challenges? What are some of the bumps in the road? Because sometimes, back to my beginning point, people hear the word risk and like, oh gosh, here we go. You're going to talk about risk all day. But if I could talk about things that, what's going to make your your work difficult to be successful, I'm more likely to get buy-in. So, you know, it's trying to help people realize, again, bring that back to where I started. I got to take risk to grow. So let's think about what risk do we want to take and what do we not want to take and try to help them see that from a strategic perspective. How does organizational culture impact the managing of risk? We'll explore this question and so much more when the special edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. To support government financial performance and accountability, financial systems must meet certain standards, and relying on outdated financial systems inhibits progress. ERP vendors are encouraging clients to move to the cloud and consider new technologies such as robotic process automation, blockchain, and AI to enhance financial productivity. Download the IBM Center Report Financial Management for the Future at businessofgovernment.org to learn why and how government can evolve to meet the demands of a digital world. The Ebola crisis in West Africa from 2014 to 2016 was an epidemic that put emphasis on global capacity to respond to international disasters. How can government better assess the needs of those affected and help them? The IBM Center Report Responding to Global Health Crisis by Professor Jennifer Widner breaks down the U.S. response to the Ebola crisis and provides insights on lessons learned that may aid the government responses in the future. Download your free copy, Responding to Global Health Crisis, at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, exploring the state of enterprise risk management practices with Professor Mark Beasley, co-author of the 2021 State of Risk Oversight Report. Mark, you know, while organizations have engaged in risk management activities for centuries and, and the concept of ERM has only fully emerged within the last two decades, which you eloquently pointed out in the last segment, it's fairly, you know, even in 20 years, it's fairly new. How do organizational culture and how does it, how does that culture impact the way risk is managed? And what are some of the key impediments or cultural barriers that you find from your study uh, that 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 organizations kind of hinder organizations from embracing ERM completely. Yeah, I, mean, I like to refer to this as you know, in answering that, I like to say you know, culture is king when it comes to risk management. Um, it is everything, and in fact, when we sort of work with organizations and try to help them understand sort of what 
how to how to go about ERM, we we have a, a graphic where we we have culture and leadership as the foundation of the entire process. So if this is flawed, is don't even start. I mean, it's not even worth trying to do anything if you don't have the leadership and the tone at the top. So when I think about you know culture, it has everything to do with effective risk management in that if the leadership at the top, but then the mindset across the organization among the workforce, if they don't see risk management as important, valuable, and strategic, then they're going to see it more as non-value adding. It's just a task that I got to do. I got to check the box and I've got to get this off my plate and move on to something else. So it, it is a very important thing to think about. And we always encourage a chief risk officer or someone leading this process to us. We encourage them to go back to the organization and really ponder how would they assess their organization's culture and really think about what are the barriers because there are barriers because uh, we're all people. Organizations are run by people and people have different views on everything um, and they have a different view on risk management. So I think it's healthy to say, okay, I probably have some barriers. What do I, what, what do I think they are? So the common ones are people are busy. And so they see ERM, particularly if you're introducing this enterprise risk management thing, they see, oh, here comes another initiative and I am already too busy. This is a competing priority, which what they, they see it as something over separate and distinct from what is important to their day job. They just have to crunch through and get it done to get you sort of out of their way. And so they see it as a competing priority for their time and energy. And so part of how do I get around that barrier is to say, wait a minute, let me help educate them on how to think about that. And that I would say, it's not a competing priority. It's a complementary priority in that risk management should help you be more successful in that day job in that it's going to help you think about what are the issues that could emerge that are going to make your day job harder? Wouldn't you like to know those before they happen versus being blindsided? So it's not a competing priority. It's a complementary priority. So that's one barrier that is a way to come, overcome that. The Another one that's very common and it shows up in our data in the study is there's a lack of perceived value. So sort of tied to the earlier one, but they, they just don't see the value of this. And so part of it is back to tying it to strategy. And so I think that becomes back to, well, the value should be in helping you pinpoint what it is is important for you to be successful in. And then let's see how we can help you navigate things that could emerge that could affect that. So that's dealing with the value issue. The third barrier is, we don't have enough resources. It's going to cost too much. So people hear this ERM thing and they think it's going to cost them, you know, 20 new FTEs, headcounts, and a massive software system. And we're like, no, and no, it is not that. In starting out, it's more of let's work with existing 
people and let's get a conversation going. If we can get a conversation going at an enterprise level that's cross-functional, I've now started ERM. I don't have a single software and I don't have a chief risk officer, but I've gotten value because I've got people talking. So there's a cost perspective that people think there's a huge budget request to start ERM. And we're like, no, just start with a conversation. In three years, you might decide you need some FTE dedicated to it. But generally, that is usually realigning someone's role to not hire a new person necessarily, but maybe you're allocating a person someone time. So there are a lot of ways to get around that. But I think a lot of it is just awareness and understanding and keeping it simple. Um, Sometimes I think entities have tried to implement a full-blown, robust, complicated system. And usually they do that for a while and back off because it didn't quite fit the, the culture. So I guess that's a long answer to your question, but it's still along those lines. So, Mark, you've mentioned chief risk officers, CROs, a couple of times. I was wondering, when you're designing and implementing a robust risk management process, um, it doesn't happen successfully without dedicated leadership. Uh, To what extent have CROs become relevant across organizations and industries? And what kind of role have CROs played in organizations' pandemic response? So the first part of your question, the the trending of entities appointing a person to be the chief risk officer, and I want to highlight that that term is being used a lot. Now, a lot of times they'll use a different term. So it might be senior VP of risk management, executive VP. You know, So you see different terminology. And when we ask this question, we say chief risk officer or senior executive equivalent. Uh, with risk management responsibility like that. So we're definitely seeing it trending up. So the current survey, we overall across the entire full sample was 47% of our respondents say they have identified someone in that role. And that's compared to 18% 12 years ago. So we're definitely seeing that trending up. And when you look over the 12 years, it's pretty much a steady increase up to the 47%. Now, when you get into larger and then public, you see that number getting in the 60% range. So we're seeing that track up. For nonprofit and government, it's in the 40%. It's like 41% or something like that. So I definitely am seeing it trending up. To your point earlier, I, I see value in pinpointing a leader to lead the process. It needs a champion of the process. Not They don't own the risk. Business leaders own the risk the chief risk officers help to take the entity through a process and be sort of a leader, a leader, an advocate, a coach, an advisor, a consultant is a lot, you know, and an aggregator of the enterprise view of risk. From again, our advisory board, but others, they being the chief risk officer equivalent had a front and center seat at the leadership team discussions as entities were navigating the, the pandemic crisis, because those that had a chief risk officer position likely already had some kind of risk management infrastructure where risk reporting was occurring, risk were getting escalated through that process, in a lot of cases, some kind of vetting at the top. And so naturally, that group already exists. Let's pull them together. And so I think they were very engaged in that process, but along with everybody else at the C-suite level, because it, it had a you know enterprise effect to the organization. So I think they were there to help sort of lead the risk process 
Um, and in some cases, we're involved in even leading, you know, the regular in some early part of, you know, the COVID experience, we, we were hearing, you know, executive teams coming together two and three times a day on conference calls. And then that may have gone to daily, once a day, you know, spreading out to once a week over time. It's sort of spaced out a little bit, but a lot of people even leading those efforts. So I think it just put them in a, a pretty good spot. You know, it's a good point, Mark. You know, whether it's in response to the pandemic or not, you see a lot of organizations creating management level risk committees. What's the benefit of creating such a structure, Mark? You know, I I think the management level risk committees are one of the best things that an entity can do, particularly if they're starting year round. I would, I'd get started with that because the benefit of it is a management level risk committee, if it is high, it well includes people high in the organization, I should say. They're at a senior enough level to have a broader enterprise view and they understand the strategic emphasis of the organization, what they're trying to do to drive you know, mission-critical deliverable services and new initiatives and a strategic plan. So we need people at that level and insight, but we want cross-functional. It's got to be cross-functional. But if you've got that kind of group together, and most are coming together and meeting quarterly, typically, you've now got an enterprise view to talk about issues. So when, when issues emerge, you've already got a cross-functional lens looking at an issue. So when someone starts to respond to a risk, you've got multiple cross-functional views to say, well, okay, that's a good idea, but have you thought about this would mean, or this would impact us over here? Have you thought about that? And so it just provides, it facilitates a holistic view, which is really all, goes back to my earlier point about the definition of ERM. We're trying to get a top-down, enterprise-wide view of strategic issues that can affect our success. And that's where that management-level committee um, is so critical. And that we have definitely seen trending way upwards. Um, The percentage of entities doing that is even higher than the percentage with the chief risk officer, which totally makes sense to me. That's interesting. You know, we talked about the concept. We talked about the process and the structure in some respects. I'd like to sort of transition into a particular task associated with all this effort. And that is, you know, when an organization engages in risk identification, sometimes I understand there's confusion amongst leaders in what is meant by the term risk. I was wondering, why is there such confusion and a need for clarity in defining what risk is within an organization? How do they address this kind of issue around properly defining risk? Yeah, it it is interesting. And I think sometimes there's confusion around the term because I want to sometimes say, I think people are overthinking it and making it uh, quite frankly, sound too academic. You know, they want to get very specific and almost scientific in how they want to define the term. And I'm like, don't go there. It's not. It's a waste of time. But I think part of the challenge is that they have typically not been trained in risk management. You know, and this is pointing a finger at my colleagues. You know, in the academic world, business schools. When you think about business schools, there are not a lot of courses on risk management, and so. You know, in a lot of ways, we have put people in responsibilities to manage risk, and they never really have had training on it. They've had training on specific types of issues, but, you know, this concept of ERM, they probably haven't had that much training on it. So I think part of it is just lack of training and education. Now, the other thing is 
I think they're overthinking it. And then the the other piece that I would say is sometimes they confuse risk with a fact. And so that's part of the confusion. So let me just highlight when I'm working with students, I try to make it pretty simple. I just say, you know, risk is something, an event that may or may not happen. We just don't know yet. And so what I'm trying to get across in a risk is it's a may or may not. It may not. It's a might, might not. It's, it's uncertainty. So it's sort of there's something good or bad that may or may not happen. And that we need to know, <laughs> but I don't know yet. So that's what I'm talking about with a risk. A fact that people confuse with risk sometimes is a fact is 100% we know the answer. So there's no uncertainty. So I'll give you an example. This happened here where we were dealing, this is several years ago, but we were working with our chancellor's office just to get across the leadership team at NC State. What are the top risks facing the university? And one of the risks that came out of that discussion, I remember, was some people said, well, we have a risk of public access to our buildings. People can walk in and out of our buildings with no security in a, you know, an eight to five kind of time frame. And we're like, that's a fact. It's 100% true. I can walk into a building. What are you worried about? The, and so we had to get them to realize you're now zooming in on a fact. We want you to think about now what may or may not present itself because of that fact. And so then they started realizing, oh, well, we there's a potential risk of theft of pretty valuable research equipment or whatever you want to say. Um, and so we helped help them realize the event you're really worried about is stolen equipment. It's not public access to a building. So part of it is that confusion. So I just try to say, you know, you can define it, but just make sure you have the words may or may not or might or might not in the definition. And I think you're fine. Since we're on identification of risk and assessment, I was wondering uh, how has the COVID 19 pandemic impacted risk identification and assessment? And to what extent have lessons been learned from COVID that might impact organizations' uh, ability to identify risk and assess its processes? I think the way it's impacted it initially is they realized it's worth our time to think about risk and try to identify them and then let's sort of prioritize them. Now, COVID told them or told us all there's a lot of risk now. So I've got to assess them, meaning I got to rank order them. So I've got to, I, I can find thousands of risks and they're out there, but what are the biggies? So I think they're realizing there's value in identifying them and then picking and choosing the ones that are most critical that we need to deal with. So I think it's helped raise that awareness. The second thing I think it's really done is it comes back to the strategy conversation. It's, I want to be identifying risk from a strategic lens. Um, I think in a lot of entities, the way they've gone about a risk is a little more granular, bottom up, and more functional and more operational and compliance focused. And what we've said is, don't start there. Start with what's the four things that you're trying to be successful in over the next two to three years And then from those four things, for each of those, think about what could emerge that could make that challenge. And so I think they've realized, I think COVID realized when, you know, 
March and April of 2020, when we were in a lockdown mode and you couldn't get services provided or you couldn't provide the services on a provider side, um, we had to rethink, we got to get a way to get that service out there. So it's very critical. It's a core driver of my business. How, how, what are the risks to now? I've got to, I can't sell it the way I usually did, or I can't provide the service in the normal deliverable. It has now stopped. I got to come up with a new solution. Well, what's going to make that new solution challenging? It started from a strategic lens and they went and found the list. What does the future hold for the use and application of enterprise risk management? We will explore this question and so much more when our special edition of the Business of Government Hour returns. How does an agency decide upon and implement a performance management framework that will be successful for their specific administration? The IBM Center Report, a practitioner's framework for measuring results, follows the implementation and results of the CSTAT management framework in Colorado's Department of Homeland Security in hopes that it can guide others who may want to institute a similar approach. Download a practitioner's framework for measuring results by Melissa Wavelet on businessofgovernment.org today. Agile methodology has allowed for agencies to keep up with the growing demands for fast response to problem solving. The Opportunity Project, TOP, serves as a catalyst in adapting agile techniques to solve complex agency mission problems. TOP works with federal agencies to identify challenges and facilitate iterative approaches in response. In the IBM Center Report, Agile Problem Solving in Government, Joel Gurin and Katerina Ribello discuss the factors of success involved in TOP. Download your free copy today at businessofgovernment.org. Welcome back to a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, exploring the state of enterprise risk management practices with Professor Mark Beasley, co-author of the 2021 State of Risk Oversight Report. Mark, the report we started our conversation, it does offer a call to action as one of its uh, chapters. And I was wondering, you know, I'd like to transition to that. And what recommendations or specific calls to actions uh, have been drawn from this research? We sort of ended the report with a series of these calls. Just in, when you think about it, they're just a series of questions to get people thinking. Um, we're, we're really saying, you know, let's think about first, what's the current approach to how your organization manages risk? Just what, what does that look like? What, what, what's working well? What isn't working so well? How coordinated is it? And is it really helping the executive side of our organization really run this organization? Or are they not even asking for the information coming from risk management? So I think there's really an an honest assessment of where is our risk management process from a value proposition and even a definable, can I even define what risk management is in our organization? The second sort of call to action is, do we have a good consensus understanding, particularly at the leadership level, of what the biggest risks are for our organization? I always like to get executive teams, and if I could, I would walk into an executive team meeting and say, before you talk, I want each of you to pull out a piece of paper and write down the top five biggest risks that will affect our success over the next five years. 
And I would say, I want you to do that individually. Don't share your information. And then I'd want to collect their answers. And then I'd like to aggregate it because I want to find out, are they on the same page? If they're more in a consensus view, then I would say, you're doing something pretty well. But if I've got things all over the page, that tells me there's not a real good enterprise risk process because you're all working towards multitudes of risk and you're going in all kinds of directions. Is, Is there any consensus of what's really the most important thing to be dealing with first? And then a third question is call to action is really question, is it providing any, is risk management providing any strategic value to running the business? Because it needs to. Um, And if it's not, then we got to figure out how do I get it more integrated from a strategic lens? And so I think it's risk management, ERM ought to be one of your best strategic tools if it's designed right. It can be. But if people don't perceive it that way at all, then we want to rethink things. And then hopefully once it is doing the right things, are you getting the data to really help you manage risk proactively? Because the risk I've identified today will be different tomorrow. So what are the indicators to help me understand things are shifting? And do I have good, robust key risk indicators that will then feed me back around to the next cycle of thinking about risk. So it, it's it's a circular thing. And I always tell people, once you jo- jump on the ERM merry-go-round, you're going to get dizzy because you're never getting off because risks are always going to change and you got to keep it going. You know, how do you see the state of ERM evolving over the next, uh, say, few years? And what what key issues or challenges do you think will be faced in this area? I, I want to think it's going to continue to evolve in a positive way. I think it's going to evolve in that more and more organizations are realizing the speed of risk seems to be getting faster, particularly with innovation, technology, just the, the shrinking of the globe in a lot of ways. Uh, I think. I'm hoping that more will see the need and value of it. So it will grow in maturity and um, robustness in a positive way, not bureaucratic way, but in a good value adding way. I think some of the challenges are going to be we're going to want to find ways to get risk information escalated fast. So I think there's finding ways to get risk data, capturing data, elevating that information to get it real time. You know, when you think about very sophisticated weather mapping systems, you know, could we get to that point where we have a better radar kind of system of all the risk on the horizon for our business, almost like in a weather map or even in a defense mode kind of thing from a country perspective that I've got lots of input. And so I think it's going to be challenging to figure out how to do that. Um, I think the vision is there. It's just how to make that work. And then I think getting... The other challenge, I think, is we've got enough risks to think about of our success for the next two to three years, but we've got to also be thinking 10 to 20 years out. Um, and so I think that's a challenge to have a dual-tracked risk thinking, short-term, long-term. Mark, are there any insights from this survey and research that you've done that can be applicable and helpful to government leaders? I would like to think they could learn just as much as a publicly traded company reader would learn. The insights in this report to me, you know, we we provide data across different types. So it tells me sort of where my peers are. But the topics that we are surveying on that are recovered in the entire report are relevant to any business and any type of entity 
including state, local, and federal government. It is just as relevant because a federal agency is facing risk to what it's tasked for doing for our country. And so it has a mission for why it exists. And I would think that, you know, agency leaders are wanting to fulfill that mission that it's designed to provide and risk management helps fulfill that mission. So there might require, as people read the report, maybe in certain places they need to translate when we use things like strategic and strategy. Although I think agencies have strategies, we just might have a little different terminology. So maybe it's mission critical services or or why we exist as a mission statement and a vision or our charge from a federal charge, you know, agency, congressional charge or whatever it might be. I think maybe it, I might need to translate some words, but I don't even think that much of that. So I guess I'd like to think it's 100% relevant to a government reader, a government agency reader. I, I can agree just for delving into it. It's, a, it's, it's chock full of great insight. Mark, how could uh, folks get a copy of this report? It is downloadable for free from our website, which is erm.ncsu.edu. So erm.ncsu.edu. You'll see it front and center on our webpage. Um, And if you are struggling to find it there, there's a search feature on the website that searches within our website, State of Risk Oversight, and you'll find this one as well as the 11 prior years. If you're really interested in a history lesson, uh, we've got 11 editions there too, in addition to the current one. Mark, it's been a wonderful conversation, chock full of insights. I really appreciate your time today. Thanks again. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. I enjoyed it. This has been a special edition of the Business of Government Hour, exploring the state of enterprise risk management practices with Professor Mark Beasley, Director of the Enterprise Risk Management Initiative at the Poole College of Management, North Carolina State University, and co-author of the 2021 State of Risk Oversight Report. Be sure to join us next week for another informative, insightful, and in-depth conversation on improving government and its effectiveness. Until then, subscribe, download, and listen to the entire interview at Podcast One, iTunes, or on your favorite podcast app, and as always at businessofgovernment.org. For the Business of Government Hour, I'm Michael Keegan, and thanks for joining us. How can government best use big data to transform decision-making, public services delivery, and communication? The IBM Center Report Integrating Big Data and Thick Data to Transform Public Services Delivery by Yan Yan Ang presents five recommendations for public managers introducing the concept of mixed analytics, urging thick data, meaning qualitative information about users, to be presented alongside big data to improve government decision-making. Visit businessofgovernment.org to read more.